Alrighty. We'll go ahead and get started. Um, I'll pray for us just to get started. Father, thanks for gathering us here this morning. Thanks that we can take a look once again at uh, the Apostles' Creed, uh, that we can confess with the saints throughout the ages, uh, down the line of history, the truths that you have revealed to us in your word. We pray that as we study it, that our hearts would be warmed, uh, that we it would be a worshipful experience, and that we would uh, come to delight in you more and more. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so... Uh, as you guys might, might know, we are currently going through the Apostles' Creed. It's been a very interesting study. Uh, Michael, last week, he did um, the line, the third day he rose again from the dead, and it was a fantastic study on the resurrection. Um, but before we begin, we'll uh, let's recite together the Apostles' Creed, um, starting at the top. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Alright, so today, as you can tell, we're going to be studying the bolded lines. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. And so there is a lot, a lot of information, so we're just going to fly through this thing. The outline is pretty long, as you can see, too. But, um, but uh, when, I guess like when I was like studying through like the systematic theology, there's, uh, people talk about the two states of Christ. Um, there's the, um, what is it, descended state, and then the state of exaltation. And so the descended state is like the incarnation, uh, his accumulation, his life, the cross, and then the state of exaltation is the resurrection the ascension his set, uh, what we call the session and um, the second coming and so we're going to be studying the second part right and so like, like I said Michael talked about the resurrection last week but we are going to today talk about uh, we'll focus on the ascension and the coming judgment the second coming and so I try to make it like there's there's like like all these like systematic theology books and all these like textbooks uh, there's like so much information but then I just try to like whittle it down to like the really core stuff so hopefully it'll be good so <clears throat> now um, we'll start with uh, the ascension so basically the question is what should we know about the ascension of Christ why is it significant why are we even taking a look at it and there's three basic reasons that I uh, try to whittle it down to the first one is we talk about um, his reign uh, the reign that Christ has received in his authority uh, Jeff can you read the Verses from Ephesians. And Aikman, the verse from First Peter. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels, authorities, powers having been 
Yeah, it doesn't show the noun, but that's supposed to be Jesus in verse before verse twenty-two. And so we talk about how when Jesus was ascended, that's when he uh, finally received the uh, the authority uh, that he had before the incarnation, right? Like so, before he became a man, he was like in heaven and he was being worshipped by the angels. He had all the glory, he had all the power, and all this like majesty that he uh, laid down when he came down to earth. But when he was exalted, when God raised him up and brought him to heaven, we believe that, again, that he is sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Like, And the right hand, if you guys know, like, um, the right hand, because it's like a lot of people back then were right-handed, that's like it's supposed to be the where your strength comes from, that's where your power comes from. By the way, like, uh, if you guys remember the study in Judges, there was that one judge who was left-handed, and that's why it was so weird that God would use a left-handed person to bring salvation. Anyway, so the idea that God, uh, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, uh, shows that He has um, He has authority, He has the power, and this is like all throughout the Bible. I didn't want to like put like too much, but like um, in Philippians, it talks about how Christ has been raised up, and every tongue and uh, knee will bow, every tongue will confess. In Matthew twenty-eight, it talks about how uh, He has received all authority, power, and uh, in heaven and um, on earth so therefore go and do all these things and so why is this important to know that Jesus has authority uh, it's important because it gives us assurance right um, if you if you know in the great commission Jesus says uh, I've been given all the authority therefore go and lo and behold I will be with you always the fact that God uh, that Jesus has been raised that he has authority gives us assurance that we can go and do things that um, this is like the dominant hope of the of the New Testament church of the believers that uh, we have a we believe in Jesus who has been raised and is seated at the right hand. Uh, and so this is kind of like uh, a little straightforward. But do you guys have any questions about um, the sovereignty or uh, Jesus's power implied from these from this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll go, we'll go on. Um, so the second thing that we learn about uh, Jesus's ascension from it and his session at the right hand of God is his so, constant. So, so can I ask a question? Yeah, so certainly. So ascension is like he's ascending to his throne and sort of sitting down, mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, like, uh, the ascension, uh, there, there's like a couple different parts to it, but basically, yeah, like when he ascended in Acts chapter 1, uh, he goes up, and then uh, we see that he's like seated. This is a chair. Um, and so, yeah, kind of like he's like completed all the work, and he's like sitting down in his like, um, as 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 he's completed it, is that we 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 were asking? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, it's kind of like uh, you know the Lord, the Lord of the Rings. Aragorn. Aragorn, yeah, he defeats the enemies, he defeats Sauron, right? And then he he has his coronation, and he sort of sits on his throne, and he's reigning. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, but, but Christ's throne, of course, is in heaven, so he ascended. Yeah. We'll, we'll draw clouds over here. And there's like angels too. 
We're all like worshiping him, if you guys know. I still got butterfly, but. Um, but yeah, the idea that like, I think, okay, so I think because sometimes we think like Jesus is kind of like in this like ethereal state and like later on he'll come and receive glory. Later on he'll like receive all the authority. But we, it's because, it, because we know that he's already ascended, we know that he already has uh, been exalted. He's already seated uh, and has already received all the authority. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, come, we'll revisit this picture. I guess that's why all throne chairs are elevated. Like, no king descends down to his throne chair and sits, and everyone looks down. Mm-hmm. Everyone looks up. Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of the verse where it talks about how the earth is the Lord's footstool. That like we all like, it's kind of like a lowly position, right? We're all like looking up, and, like if His feet can like cover the whole planet, that's that's crazy big. Okay, that's kind of like a. All right. <laughs> um, the second thing we learn about from Christ's uh, ascension is uh, what He's actually doing up there, uh, and we read. Uh, Carrie, can you read the verse from Romans? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? And Tony, the verse from Hebrews? Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God since he always lives to make intercession for him. Yeah, I think this is like a really interesting and profound thing that like Christ, who has all the authority, who can like literally do whatever he wants, his way of exercising his dominion, his way of exercising his power is through prayer. Um, especially because I feel like for, I, I, at least for me, like prayer is kind of like like the last resort thing that you do. Or it's kind of like the thing that you just do to make it seem spiritual, but you know, you actually have to go and do all the real work yourself. But Christ who has all the power again is at the uh, who's just in, he's praying constantly and I love what J.I. Packer says in his book he says that this is not just like like a weak appeal to charity like kind of like asking God to have pity on him but he says that this is the intervening love of one who has sovereign right and power to make requests and to take power uh, to make to take actions and so um, yeah this idea of that Jesus is constantly interceding for us and I think um I don't know if you guys know like uh, some of the cultural things about like Korean cultures, but um, I think something that like this reminds me of is how my grandma she wakes up like every morning and goes to like you know the early morning prayer stuff like that. She wakes up at like four o'clock and she's like, I don't know. Sometimes it's a little bit showy, but like she talks about how like she like prays constantly. And I think whenever I hear that and I'm reminded of that, how she's like waking up that early to pray for me, uh, and that she's like thinking of me and. Uh, I don't know, it's just like a great source of encouragement. I think like the only reason I can come uh, this far without, you know, being in jail or doing like something like really dumb is <laughs> because of her prayers. Uh, but if her prayers are like that much more endearing, like the idea that Jesus is constantly in heaven, he doesn't even like sleep, he's just like interceding for us, uh, I think is it's like it should bring us great joy and peace to our hearts. Um, are any, do you guys have any thoughts about this? Any things that it reminds you of? Yeah, and, and you know, if we go back to the picture of uh, how God, let's see, if this is, uh, okay, so this is, let's say that this is God. 
Uh, and then so Jesus is at his right hand, right? Um, yeah, the idea that Jesus, because he's seated at the right hand, like, like he has an ear with the Father, right? Like anything that Jesus prays is going to automatically be in line with Father, Father. So we know that Jesus' intercessions are not like our prayers that sometimes feel weak, but Jesus' prayers like will always... Uh, be will always be answered, will always come true. And that gives us assurance too, because if you read in other parts of the New Testament, in Ephesians, it talks about how we are seated with Christ, that we've been raised with Him. In Colossians 3, uh, Wade preached on this a couple months ago. He talks about how um, we have been raised with Christ, so therefore set your minds on the things that are above. Set your minds on the on where Christ is seated. Right? And so because we're like united with Christ, we're seated with Christ, we know that our prayers also uh, have an ear with the Father. That our prayers aren't just like, like you know, like traveling up here, like so it's like really weak and ineffective. But because we are united with Christ, because of the crisis, we know that our prayers are effective and will be heard. Um, yeah. Any. So he, he goes up to advocate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, that's an interesting word because yeah we talk about how like Christ sends us the advocator and he's also the advocate for on our behalf yeah that is interesting like he leaves us an advocate the advocate that he sends is the Holy Spirit that's like one of the words that um, Jesus uses in John 14 Um, but yeah Okay, um, so God is, so Jesus is, uh, his location, or his location, but like, he's seated at the right hand, um, his action is uh, interceding for us constantly, and then, um, thirdly, what what we can we learn from the ascension, is to talk about um, for whom he did these things, uh, what has he done, um, and I I kind of like combine these two ideas. Uh, these could have been two different points, but I want to talk about how Jesus, by having seated uh, on the, by having been seated at the right hand of God, He secures two things on our behalf. And so let's talk about that. Um, Wade, can you read Hebrews? And Harry, can you read the second part from Hebrews? Hebrews ten. <coughs> Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance and the glory of God, and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of our mind. Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for his sins. For sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Yeah, and so from these two passages from Hebrews, we learn that when Christ was seated, uh, that uh, we believe or we know that the work of salvation has been completed, that God has uh, seen the work of Christ, has regarded the mediatorial work of Christ and has deemed it sufficient. Um, Because it says like in Hebrews, right, after making purification for sins, he sat down um, or... Um, after when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. And so the idea that it, the work is complete, that there is nothing that we can add, there is nothing that Christ can do to f- make it more complete 
because every, he has already accomplished everything in its fullness. Uh, so we know that everything has been completed. Right, does that does it make sense? It's kind of like uh like going back to like the example that Michael was giving. Like Aragon, he didn't just like in the middle of the battle or in the middle of the war like sit down on the throne and be like, okay, I'm done. Right? Like he waited until like the battle was over. He waited until uh, the the yeah like the enemy had been defeated and then he took a seat. Right. Trying. <laughs> Better read the books. Um, Okay, so, so that's one, the first thing that we know from Jesus' uh, sitting, that he has secured salvation for his people. But the second thing we uh, read, let's see, Tov, can you, yeah, yeah. So like, the act of sitting means like it's done, right? You don't sit unless you finish. Right. Yeah, I was trying to think of like an example of like where this might be true. But then I feel like on earth, like, we're constantly, we're still working, right? Like, so, like, when Tub comes home from a long day at work and he's like, sits down. <laughs> like, it's, like, temporary rest, but it's not, I mean, you still have to wake up the next morning. Uh, so, but, so it's significant that he's not, like, standing in right? mm-hmm. he's sitting in heaven, which is an indication that it's finished. Right. And um, I, didn't, I didn't include this verse, uh, maybe I should have, but... In Psalm 110, it talks about how the Lord said to my Lord, come and sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so this is even like a fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy of how God was going to, where Jesus was going to sit and it's going to be completed until God finished the work on his behalf. Uh, And we'll read more about that when we talk about the second coming. Uh, Does that answer your question, Michael? Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, Tub, can you read from John 14? Uh, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, uh, who uh, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. And where I am, you may also. You may be also. So the second thing we, uh, we see that is secured for us by the ascension is that even though in a, in a spiritual sense, uh, in one sense of the word, we are already seated in heaven with Christ, right? This is kind of like, uh, if you remember C.S. Lewis's chapter on Let's Pretend, he said, let's pretend like we are actually united with Christ. Let's pretend like we are actually clothed with Christ and how as a result of that pretending, uh, it becomes more and more true. And then Jeff was saying, like, there's, uh, he was pointing out how C.S. Lewis said that there's a good kind of pretending and a bad kind of pretending, right? This might be jogging your memory. Anyway, so in one sense of the word, yeah, this is still pretending, or this is like a deeper or more spiritual reality. Uh, But we, again, know that as a result of Christ having gone up to be seated, that he's not just like like chilling or ignoring us, but he's, uh, it says, he's, uh, what is it? Preparing a place for us. That he is going to come again and will take us to himself. So we know that we will one day be united with him in the fullness of what that what, what that means. Not just like in a pretending kind of way or not just in a deeper spiritual kind of way. But we will be uh, reunited with him in the fullness. And so, yeah, like because Christ 
had a physical body and he was able to go, we know that we also will join him. All right. Any questions about the ascension or the session of Christ? <laughs> All right. Harry, you look funny. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, we'll go on to the third line, which is uh, where it says, From there he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. And... Man, when I was like trying to research for this, there is like so much stuff out there. And so I just want to give a very, very basic uh, lesson. Um, so just some clarifying questions. First of all, what does it mean that Jesus is going to judge the quick and the dead? Does that mean like... Yes. Cheryl, can you say that one more time really loud? Yeah. So quick, the word quick is uh, in old English is like pretty archaic now. A lot of people don't use it this way, but the word quick means alive. So people who are alive. And so that's not like, you know, people who are like really fast. And like they weren't judged on earth. So God has like finally judged them later. Yeah. Um, so quick and the dead. Um, and then, and like as you guys... When you're dead, you're really slow. That's true. Unless... Well, I heard like some people when they when they die they still like twitch, right? So what? St- they still move. Okay, never mind. Um, so what can what should we know about the coming judgment? Um, first of all, I just want to preface this by saying that there are lots of disagreements uh, among believers, but there are also like lots of agreements, things that they all uh, together hold fast to, that all evangelicals agree on, and so that's just what I want to focus on. I feel like this could be like a whole lesson that. Like a series of lessons that Michael or Wade can do. They can debate it out. Um, but, yeah, I'll just talk about like the really basic stuff. And so there's just a couple points that I, I want to touch on. Uh, the first thing that we read or that we know, uh, that we confess, is that Christ will return. Uh, John, can you read from Acts 1? <laughs> and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to him. Right. And so this this verse in Acts 1 is like one of the strongest um, reasons why we believe in a a bodily um, yeah, bodily visible return. That the disciples were like you know, they were all like chilling here, and then they saw Jesus like. Yes. So the disciples are all like, you know, hanging out with Jesus, right? This is not that good either, but. And then they're hanging out with Jesus, and then he begins to like ascend up. And then it, and then it's not written here, but then Jesus becomes like, he, he, like a cloud that kind of covers him, encapsulates him, and so they are no longer able to see him. And while they're like looking up and you know trying to like find Jesus, these angels come and they're like, "Yo, what are you doing? Like, why are you looking up into heaven? Jesus is going to come back in the same way that you saw him go up." And so we believe that again, like Jesus is going to return in his physical body, that he's going to come and he's going to be visible. It's not going to be like this like like ethereal spiritual return. Uh, and there's a lot of like yeah, because there's a lot of like different like, cults out there that think that Jesus has already returned. Um, you know, all sorts of like weird things. Um, any questions? 
Why is that significant? That Jesus is going to return in his body? Because we know that, well, I guess there's a couple things. First of all, we know that, like, our bodies, we also will have a literal bodily resurrection. And we're not going to have this, uh, we're not going to, like, discard our bodies and, like, become, like, spirits, like, in heaven, just, like, playing the harp or something. But uh, we're going to have, like, literal bodies. Um, It's also important because a lot of times, like, we might not know, like, because of, like, so many people who say, like, oh, Jesus has already come back or, like, whatever. Uh, it's, it's easy to get our faith shaken, but we know that based on the word, like, uh, we are going to know when Jesus comes back that it's going to be something that everybody knows, that there will no, be no more atheists when Jesus comes back uh, because they will all see him. Uh, I don't know. Were, were there other things that you wanted? Yeah, no, those are exactly. I mean, the fact that he comes back in his body tells us that's the future. That's the goal. That's the goal bodily, physical life awaits us and then dance. It'll be unmistakable. It'll come down in the clouds to rain on earth forever. I mean, that's, that's kind of like, uh, you guys might even remember, um, what was it, uh, Carol Camping on May 21st, he talked about how like, there was, like, Jesus was going to come back and then like, when he didn't come back, he was like, well, it's going to be spiritual. It, ha- it was a spiritual thing and like, in October, six months later, October 21st, then like, the real judgment's going to happen. And then it didn't happen again. And then, well, I heard he like repented and stuff. Uh, but in, in any case, um, yeah. So we know that Christ will return, um, and every eye will see him. Okay. Second thing. So uh, the second thing is that we should eagerly await Christ's return. Let's see. Cat, can you read from Colossians? Colossians three, three to five. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And God, who is your life, appears and will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is where I want to spend uh, a little bit more time on. The idea that we are supposed to be eagerly awaiting Christ's return. Um, let's see. Some... So just like really quick, it talks about in Revelation four, uh, five, when when uh, nobody is worthy to open the seals, the Apostle John begins to weep because he wants so badly for um, Jesus to be able to return. Right? Uh, he wants so badly, and so the idea that like he longs for the second coming, or at the end of Revelation, it talks about how the Spirit and the Church together say, "Come," and the Spirit and the Bride. Uh, the idea that like, we, the church, and the uh, is like constantly looking forward to or awaiting it. Uh, that that is what it's supposed to look like. And so, this is like uh, some people talk about the um, one another uh, one reason why we should eagerly await Christ's return is because that's when the kingdom of God that was inaugurated by Jesus will reach its grand finale. And so, what that means is, uh, let's see. If the earth is like this, right? And then this is like, let's say, let's say this is when Jesus was here. We, here, actually let me take a step back. So there's a lot of questions about like, you know, like Jesus made a lot of like, kind of in the Old Testament and the prophecies, there was lots of things about how like, there's going to be like eternal prosperity and like there's going to be, uh, the lion, there's going to be no more war and people are going to like all flourish and there's going to be no more sin 
And when Jesus came and he, you know, died and he rose again, there, we, we know that there's still sin. And so a lot of people have been asking, like, what happened? Did Jesus fail? Was Jesus not really the Messiah? And what people have come up with is that Jesus, he uh, inaugurated the kingdom, so he, like, started it. This is the kingdom of God. Um, and so it's already here. So it's already here in one sense of the word, but in the fullness sense of the word, it's not yet really here. And so things like um, sin, right? Like the power of sin has been broken in the lives of believers, but not in its fullest sense uh, because we are still on earth, because we are still tainted with the remaining like vestiges of broken society and fallen human, fallen humanity. And so... While we're here, we believe that, like, again, like the kingdom of God is already here, um, but not in its like, entirety or not in its fullness. And when Jesus comes back, that's when he's going to uh, bring, he's going to complete everything. So he, like, believers will receive their reward. They will have their glorified bodies. And sinners and unbelievers uh, will be punished, will be thrown into eternal damnation. Uh, and so this, is, this happens at the second coming. Any questions? That's kind of, that was a little bit hazy, I apologize. Um, so, already not yet. Um, things like when Jesus came, he was healing people. He was uh, releasing captives and demon-possessed uh, people and stuff like that. Uh, and so there's, you know, like, all those things. Um, even though we, here on earth, like, we still see, like, maybe glimpses of, of people being healed and set free. Uh, that will happen in its entirety at the second coming in the, when Jesus finishes it. So that's another reason why we like long, long for that day when we, when we will no longer sin, when we will no longer be sorrowful, when we will no longer be hurt. So yeah. this is kind of tangential, but um, so for that, that the already not yet state, mm-hmm. so those who die and have perished, and who are believers? Is is there a sleep state, or is there like a any, like an, an immediate like communion with Christ? Oh, um, there's this thing called the intermediate state, but I don't want to like go to just because I haven't like studied up on it. Um, but yeah, I'll let Mike, Michael. You want to handle this one right now, or? Yeah, I mean, um, we often think of uh, we often think that the final destination is heaven. But it's not. Heaven, by the way, is not a destination or it's not in the clouds. I think Jesus goes up in the clouds, not because heaven is in the clouds, but the clouds are storm clouds. It's like a chariot, you know, taking them up just like Elijah. But in any case, so heaven is not the final destination. And so everyone, every believer who dies in this age, the already but not yet age, goes to heaven. But they're awaiting, just like us, they're awaiting the full release, the full consummation of the kingdom which is at the second coming. And at the second coming, the kingdom in all its fullness will be here. On earth, there will be a new earth and new heavens, and we will reign in bodily. We will reign bodily with Jesus. And so, those who die await the resurrection just like us. But they're with Jesus in paradise. They're with Jesus. Does that make sense? So the intermediate state that Eric was talking about is where they, they live with Jesus, 
they're in his bosom, but they don't yet have their, their resurrected bodies. Because they're waiting for the second coming, when all of creation will, will wake up, will regain our bodies, our glorified bodies. And who we are right now is but a shadow of that ultimate destination. So in some sense, like those who died before the second coming experience like a whole other you know, because they're in paradise with him now, um, like, he almost miss out. No, because um, they're missing out in the sense that the resurrection is the great hope. That's what we're longing for. Heaven is not the goal. The new creation is the goal. And a lot of Christians misunderstand that. Um, the ultimate goal is to reign with Christ on earth in the new creation. And so they themselves, in a sense, are incomplete. They're waiting. They're waiting for their bodies. They're waiting for Jesus to fully reign. They're waiting for Satan to be completely crushed, even though he is already defeated. So, does that make sense? <coughs> yes, they are in a spiritual sort of ethereal state. Um, they're waiting. I mean, as Jesus said, right, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're, they're alive. Uh, as Jesus often talked about, you know, there's Abraham. And those who die in this this time will go to him. But then the real hope forever, all eternity, will be starting this time. Sweet, thanks. <laughs> I would have been able to answer that. Um, so, so, so to properly do it, the kingdom of God goes on. So it's not just the kingdom of God between Jesus and second coming, but, yeah. but then the second coming brings it to completion. It to completion. Yeah, there you go. That's an accurate. There you go. <laughs> in, in some ways, to give an analogy, um, it, uh, the Bible often talks about the church as the bride of Christ, and we're not yet married, Right? We, uh, Jesus talks about himself being the bridegroom. And so it's like we're engaged. And engaged, especially in the Jewish sense, you, you're legally married. You can't break your engagement unless there's some serious equivalent to divorce. Um, but we're engaged. We're already betrothed. We're his. But we're waiting for the marriage ceremony. Right? We're waiting for uh, the second coming in which we will be married and we will be one. We're waiting for the consummation. So we're like we're like we're getting where we are. In a couple months, they will know they will be married. <coughs> we're waiting for marriage. Brings consummation there. Okay. Um, so one of the questions that comes up is who is going to be judged? Right. It talks about how Jesus is going to judge the quick and the dead. Um, who is that? And that judgment is only towards non-believers. Uh, believers uh, have already been judged. Uh, we were judged with Christ 2,000 years ago when he was punished. And so the, the judgment that remains is only for those who have not put their faith in the judgment that Christ received. I thought, I thought believers would be judged in the sense that you stand in front of Christ, but that There's a well. There's like um, are you talking about like I've heard of like Christians who are judged and like based on their faithfulness they'll like receive different 
levels of a war? Are you talking about that? No, no, I mean, like, you're still standing in front of the throne of God, but you're not declared guilty. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Yeah, I guess it's not like, it's not like <laughs> super, yeah, I don't want to get like super technical, but uh, yeah, there's some people who would say, yeah, maybe we'll be judged and Christ will cover us then. Uh, some people will say, we were judged and Christ covered us th uh, back then. Uh, but in either case, that's Jesus has received the judgment on our behalf. You're both right. Um, um, Jesus will judge both the living and the dead. He'll judge both the righteous and the unrighteous. But, but, for, but uh, for those who are in Christ, that judgment is brought forward in time at our justification. And so you're right. We are already judged righteous in Christ. But that judgment is being brought forth from the final judgment. So at the final judgment, we will be judged for the verdict we know, mm -hmm. which is good and faithful servant, you're righteous, not because of you, but because of Christ. And you also write about the being judged on your, your life of righteousness. That's a whole other topic. Yeah. Cool. That's a good question, though, Jeff. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, and just one last thing that I want to say about this, uh, the idea of like eagerly awaiting um, the second coming. Uh, as, as I was reading some of these like pastors, uh, they were getting like, really pastoral, and they were saying, like, do Christians, is that true of Christians? Do we eagerly await the second coming? And I love what J.A. Packer says. I'm just going to read what he says. Uh, and he says, we think less and less about the better things Christ will bring us at his reappearance because our thoughts are increasingly absorbed by the good things we enjoy here. Uh, and that's that's along the same line of thought that C.S. Lewis gives, right? And what the idea that like we're like children who uh, are like we're so caught up in playing with mud pies uh, that we can't even uh, perceive what it looks like to have a holiday at the sun at the beach. Uh, that we are far too easily pleased. Uh, that we think our thoughts are mostly centered on like this earth, and so we're not we don't give enough thoughts to what Christ will accomplish what Christ will bring, what Christ will fulfill at his second coming, at his reappearance. And so, uh, the idea that like, and I love what C.S. Lewis again said this past week when we were studying, he talks about how like, every morning when we wake up, um, like, these like, animalistic urges will come at us, uh, trying to tell us to live for this world. And every morning we have to like, kill, the, we have to like, die to ourselves again. We have to um, sit and listen and to receive from God and to uh, just yeah, be, I don't know, re-gospelized, I guess, to know that our hope is in heaven, not on this earth. Um, so, yeah, we need to eagerly await the second coming. And the last point, uh, is really straightforward, is we do not know when Christ will return. Uh, and there's a bunch of verses there. Uh, and the basic conclusion is that right, Christ's return is going, uh, it's going to be at a time when we don't expect. It's going to be like a thief in the night. Uh, and what we are commanded to do, meanwhile, is to watch and be ready. Any questions? There's like so much, uh, like yeah. There's so much about like some people think like oh we do kind of know we don't know and I don't want to get into all those things. But this is just like the really basic foundational things that all Christians uh, can agree on. All right. If not, then I'll close this with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you that Jesus is seated at your right hand and that our prayers are heard because of his righteousness, because of his intercession on our behalf. 
And we pray that our uh, lives would increasingly reflect uh, the status that we have been given in Him, uh, how we have been seated with Christ. Uh, so let our thoughts, let our hearts, let our minds um, yeah, reflect that, uh, that we would um, know You, that we would look at things from an eternal perspective, and that we would uh, learn to eagerly awaits your second coming uh, when you will bring to restoration all things when there will be no more pain no more sin no more sorrow and you will wipe away every tear we look forward to this day we pray that you would return hastily we pray these things in christ's name amen